If you need a laugh, here on your behalf It's bad mates, are we fighting crime? Or just wasting time? It's bad mates, lunch, boom, crash, kapow Stream a download, holy cow You can stop listening now to bad mates Because we're bad mates Hello and welcome to Justice Mates, a podcast that is no longer exclusively about Batman. My name is Becca, and stars in your multitude, scarce to be counted, filling the darkness with order and light. You are the sentinels, silent and sure, keeping watch in the night, keeping watch in the night. And so it has been, and so it is written on the doorway to paradise. I'm sorry, Joshua, did I cut you off? (laughs) We're just going to leave that whole one minute long of you singing it. No, we'll cut that. Uh, We'll cut that down. But do know that I finished finished the song, and it was a big spectacular with uh, singing and dancing and uh, trained animals. And who are you? My name is Josh, and you're going to learn a lot about Wonder Woman this episode. You certainly will. So this episode sort of bridges our last Justice League Snyder Cut episode with the Suicide Squad stuff that we've been doing. Mm -hmm. Because um, news, the Suicide Squad trailer, uh, like a new Suicide Squad trailer dropped. Two new Suicide Squad trailers have dropped since our last Squad Goals. Yes, and Starro is... Has been revealed to be yeah. the big bad. Starro confirmed. I'm very excited. And also confirmed is uh, Nathan Fillion's character will be playing a character that we're assuming is going to be called the Detachment Kid. In the comics, he's sometimes called like Arm Fall Off Boy or something horrible <laughs> like that. We'll cover him on a... Very clever naming. Yeah, we'll cover him on a future squad goals. So yeah, we're going to go over the first appearance of Starro, which is coincidentally also the first appearance of the Justice League of America. Mm-hmm. Before we get to that, I wanted to go over a little bit of news. DC has announced that they are doing a round robin and allowing the fans to choose what series they want uh, to be published. I always thought Robin should be rounder. He's too skinny. He's too skinny? I think he's just the right amount of skinny. And I think you think he's just the right amount of skinny, too. We're not going to get into that on this podcast. It's a family (laughs) show. Um, Yeah, I, just looking at this bracket, have some ones that I'm hoping will go pretty far or Mm -hmm. win. Mm -hmm. Only one of these is actually going to get produced. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Okay, well, I really like... um, Zatanna and the King of Nightmares. That sounds fun. Um, I'm really rooting for what I assume stands for Justice League Quebec or perhaps Justice League QAnon. Either one, I'm on board. Isn't it Justice League Queer? Yeah, Justice League Queer. Oh. So it's it's LGBT heroes. Oh, interesting. Um, they also have Superman and Lois Ignition, which I'm kind of curious about what that is all about. They got uh, Blue Beetle Graduation Day. Superman and Lois Ignition is them in the Fast and the Furious universe. <laughs> I would I would pay good money to see that movie or read that comic. Superman and Lois 3 Tokyo Drift. Son of the Creeper sounds interesting. Oh, and they have a series called Robins. So uh, if you want to learn more about that, you can find information about each of these stories on DC's websites and... Uh, Vote for whatever story you think is going to be really cool. The first round of voting is going to be over by the time we post this episode. But you can go ahead and vote in the second, third, and fourth round to help determine the winner. Can I vote now? Yes. I'm going to vote for Robins because I really like the description. In the Bloodhaven apartment of Dick Grayson, a group of young people meet for coffee, donuts, and kvetching. The only thing they have in common, they're all ones, kid wonders, sidekicks to Batman, Robins. So place your bets now. Is this going to include Stephanie? Stephanie Brown? Is it going to include Carrie Kelly? Oh, boy. Yeah. No, Carrie Kelly, Carrie Kelly's out of canon, so it can't be her. And also, Dick Grayson would be super old by the time that she is around and a Robin. Not super old. He'd be like 50. I... 
I think this is supposed to take place in mainline continuity. Okay. Well, I'll vote for that. I'll also it vote doesn't for... say boys. It just says people. It just says... A group of people meet. Young people. Young people. Okay, so yeah, definitely, uh, probably... Stephanie Stephanie Brown. is going to be in there. That's cool. <clears throat> Harley Quinn leads a team of criminals, a millionaire adventurer, a stage magician, a sugar-obsessed serial killer, a delusional former superhero, a drunk assassin, a mute metahuman, and a child who becomes a monster to stop the centuries-old Church of Blood from trying to destroy all of humankind. That's Suicide Squad 7. That sounds mm. fun. The only person I can think of for a stage magi- magician is Zatanna, but that's probably not right. No, that wouldn't be part of the Suicide Squad. No. Yeah, all of these sound really interesting. I'm, I'm yeah. curious to see like what they are. Hmm. Cool. Any other news? No, I don't think so. All right. Oh, you know what? There is some more news. We got the voice actors for Batman The Long Halloween announced. Yes! Oh, man. I can't <laughs> believe I didn't even think to do this for news. Okay. So, yes, Long Halloween, it's coming, mark your calendars, it's going to be great. I don't have the exact date in front of me, but I'm sure you can look it up. (laughs) I can, give me a second. While Josh is doing that, uh, the biggest news this week was the voice actors were announced, and uh, two real amazing standouts, um, the recently passed on Naya Rivera of Glee fame, will be voicing Selena Kyle, Catwoman. It's going to be... Really, really wonderful to have that performance uh, to go back and watch. I'm really excited. I was never really a big fan of Glee, but I'm really glad that uh, her fans will have this great performance of hers to go back to. Um, And I've been told by fans of Glee that she just has this like really great mean girl kind of persona in all of her acting roles and that it would lend itself very well to a kind of Selena Kyle-esque character. Uh, and the one I'm super excited about, as I used to be a very big fan of this person, I guess I still am, um, Jensen Ackles of Supernatural will be playing Batman, and this is not his first foray into the Bat family. He played Jason Todd in the Under the Red Hood film. Which he was played the titular the Red titular Hood. The titular Red Hood, <laughs> uh, which is just an amazing Batman film. Definitely go back and watch it if you haven't. It also has Neil Patrick Harris as Nightwing. And like, how how could you not? It's, it's, it's really fantastic. Jensen is amazing. He's a fantastic voice actor. He's a fantastic actor. And I think he's going to do such a good job as Batman. Um, he's definitely a big fan of the character and of the universe. And I'm really excited to see what he can do with the material. Um, I'm also just really glad that they're like having more people play Batman. Like, obviously, I love Kevin. I'll show up every single time that Kevin's going to play Batman. But it's exciting that we're getting different takes on the character. And I can't wait. The... Movie does not have a release date yet. Mm, mark it's your calendars anyway. J- just summer 2021. So soon, but yeah. we don't know when. Mark the- all three months and be like the long Halloween. <laughs> That's what Calendar Man would want you to do. He's remarkably not in a lot of long Halloween. Yeah, we've talked about this. He does like a Hannibal Lecter type of role where he's mm-hmm. kind of in the background. But I wish he was the main one. Or at least, I wish that, at least that he like escapes halfway through. <laughs> it's like, ooh, but could it be the calendar man? I don't know. I just think that'd be cool. Yeah. The, the other news about lo- the long Halloween movie is that part one and two have been rated by the Motion Picture Ratings Association. Mm-hmm. And the second part got an R rating. Ooh. So the first part is rated PG-13 and the second part is rated R. Interesting. Which, yeah, it's really interesting to me because I don't know what the heck they're doing in it to get that R rating because like Flash the Flashpoint movie was a PG-13 and that had like people getting shot through the head and people being like torn in half Mm -hmm. by the Atlanteans there's probably just like a love scene between Batman and Catwoman (laughs) you think it's violent no because it's it's definitely violence they I the article that I read said that the reason for the R rating that was like different from the first part was because of of explicit violence. They hmm. said it's weird because Long Halloween, the violence, at least in the comic, is not super explicit. Like people get shot, but it's just sort of like mob killings. Mm-hmm. It's never anything like too crazy. People don't get strung up or anything. Uh, yeah, no, not really. Mm. Okay, you know how long Halloween is? About about as long as Batman's pointy ears. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, I'm actually kind of bummed out the stills that i see from the movie don't have his ears as long as they are in the comic pointy enough (laughs) god i love long halloween i'm really excited 
Is that the last piece of news you have? Yes, that's the last piece of news that I have this week. Okay, wonderful. Should we go right into the comic then? Oh boy, yes. Okay. Josh has 85 pages of notes. I have so many notes. Jeez. Although, I don't have the writers and editors and stuff, oh. so if you want to bring that up for me. This week's Silver Age review is The Brave and the Bold, number 28, Starro the Conqueror. The writer of this issue was Gardner Fox, the penciler was Mike Sikowski, the inkers, there's three of them, Bernard Sachs, Joe Giella, and Murphy Anderson. Letter was Gaspar Saladino, and the editor was Julius Schwartz. And this was released in March of 1960. Mm-hmm. So, the first p- page, we are treated to a rundown of who is who in the Justice League of America in their very first appearance. Mm. And it's interesting to note that the Brave and the Bold comics before this issue were about, like, knights and Robin Hood, and then there were a few issues right before this one about the Suicide Squad and Rick Flagg. Cool. But not the Suicide Squad as we know them. It was mostly just, like, Rick Flagg and other nobodies that nobody knows anything about. I actually know quite a lot about that because we did a a scrapped um, squad goals that I was going to talk about Rick Flagg before I was reading through his... Uh, various Wikipedia pages, and I was like, this is pretty boring. I don't think anybody's going to care about this. Yeah, he's yeah. he's kind of just like a, a soldier type. <laughs> like a military guy. Yeah. I mean, military comics were popular back then. They were, yeah. Yeah, you, you have um, Sergeant Rock and like all these other guys. Yeah, military-themed comics were huge. Mm-hmm. That's because it was propaganda to get you to join the war effort. <laughs> Actually, I think it was because a lot of the people who were reading comics were people who had been in the military. Because <laughs> it was kids who had read the comics in the 40s who then like fought in World War II and then were picking it up as adults. I suppose. Um, okay. So, yes, the Justice Society. So, uh, I have notes on here about the Justice Society as well. Because mm-hmm. you might think, well, the Justice League, this is their first appearance. This is the 60s. Why Didn't they have a team before this? And they did. Yes. But it wasn't called the Justice League. Mm-hmm. It was called the Justice Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Justice Society. They had metal hats. <laughs> yeah, the the Flash had his metal hat that made him look like Mercury? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so the Justice Society of America, as it gets established a couple years later, and we've been talking about this uh, in our other episodes where there's like an Earth 1 and an Earth 2, and the Earth 1 is, the, is like the 60s Silver Age continuity, and the Earth 2... Two is the Golden Age stuff, and they still wrote stories in Earth Two all the way into like the seventies. I want to say maybe even up into Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so the Justice Society of America had like all the same people, kind of. Martian Manhunter wasn't in it, uh, but they had a version of the Flash. They had Batman. They had Superman. Uh, they had Wonder Woman in it, and. But it would, and they also had a Green Lantern in it, but it was not the Green Lantern that we know and love with the power ring. He had like a magic lantern or something. Cool. Uh, but anyway, so here's who is in the Justice League as per the first panel of the comic Aquaman, Batman, Flash, um, Barry Allen, Flash, mm-hmm. Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, Martian Manhunter, uh, who the comic actually just calls John Jones. They don't call him Martian Manhunter. Mm-hmm. I think that title is actually like in the the before before like Crisis on Infinite Earth stuff was kind of just like how Batman is called the Masked Manhunter and Robin's called like the Teenage Thunderbolt. It's just sort of like a moniker. Yeah. Uh, writing my notes for this episode, I realized why. It takes a really long time to type out the words Martian Manhunter. Oh, really? Yeah, it's way easier to just write John Jones. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, let's see, we, we have Superman and Wonder Woman, uh, to round out the cast, and I did those in alphabetical order. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, we open up, uh, Aquaman is patrolling the Atlantic coast, and a pufferfish, who the comic helpfully tells us is named Peter, mind beams a story to Aquaman, because Aquaman can talk to fish, about a giant starfish that fell out of the sky and into the ocean. Aquaman can't talk to fish. Fish can communicate to him, and he can communicate with fish telepathically. Telepathically, okay. Yes. Also, um, who named this puffer this puffer fish? Did Aquaman name him? <laughs> he named himself, or his parents named him. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't think 
I think fish lay a bunch of eggs. Although, I guess... In Finding Nemo, yes, they named all of the exactly fish. I was exactly about to say, in Finding Nemo, they did try to name all of their fish. <laughs> You're right. Uh, we also get a, a fish fact about pufferfish that talks about like how they blow themselves up and float on the top of the water. Mm-hmm. I learned, interestingly, uh, while I was doing my research, I just sort of came across that these editor's notes are like a Julia Schwartz thing. Mm-hmm. Like, editor's notes were not as common before Julia Schwartz was the editor-in-chief of DC Comics. Yeah, that man is full of knowledge and he wants you to know it. Exactly, he started just throwing them in. Uh, let's see. So the alien... I wrote this cool opening where a shark talks to Aquaman. Mm, I don't know. I don't know anything about sharks. Negative pufferfish. I got some cool pufferfish facts. All right. Uh, Oh, and I got this great alien villain. Can we make him a starfish? Because I know a lot about starfish. I'm going to put in a whole two-page spread all about starfish facts. You just wait, guys. (laughs) The kids are going to love it. Anyway, so this alien starfish, this massive alien starfish who identifies itself as Starro, recruits three Earth starfish to help it conquer the planet and transforms them into giants that resemble him. I really like uh, Starro's color scheme. It reminds me of Captain America's shield. Oh, yeah. So so to describe Starro, he is a massive, like probably the size of a house or larger star starfish that is purple- and blue, and then has a, like, red eye in the center. Mm-hmm. Um, very spooky looking. Yeah, I love and, him. And alien looking. Every time he shows up, we'll talk a lot about Starro's appearances later in, like, comics and movies and stuff. Mm. Every time he shows up, it's always, like, a big, like, scary musical sting. Because it's usually, <laughs> like, somebody will, like, rip open their shirt to reveal they've got, like, Starro. And he's just yeah. like, there he is! <laughs> he's scary! So... Being aware of this, Aquaman contacts the Justice League to handle the situation using, uh, and I'm quoting the comic here, ultrasonic vibrations on his solar-powered A belt. Hmm. <laughs> so, the the belt that has the A on it for Aquaman, and he sends out these vibrations. They just, like, threw as many science-y words into this as they could. This is peak Silver Age, like, uh, science. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So we are then treated to a montage of the members of the Justice League receiving Aquaman's call. First up is Wonder Woman, who is busy telling Steve Trevor that she cannot marry him until there is no longer a need for her to fight crime and injustice. I love this. I love that she's just like, I can't marry you, Steve. I have to save the universe like every day. And he's just like, sure thing, dollface. I'll wait. <laughs> He calls her an angel in yeah. the second panel here. It's so cute. Yeah, I, he didn't die. He didn't die in World War One. I. I love it. The funny thing is, that, like, uh, so she says, "No longer need to fight crime and injustice," which I have my note in my notes here. So basically, never because yeah. there's always going to be crime and injustice. Hot tip, ladies: tell him you can't marry him until you've finished fighting all the crime and injustice in the universe, <laughs> and he'll understand. So uh, then she hops aboard her robot plane, uh, and I have in parentheses here, Invisible Jet, because I think modern audiences know this as the Invisible Jet, Mm. uh, leaving Steve, who, like I mentioned, says, uh, you know, hurry back. (laughs) Uh, Sidebar. I'll be right here. I don't have powers. (laughs) Sidebar. Robot plane. (laughs) Okay. Okay, I'm ready. So in Earth 2, Golden Age Comics... The plane appeared in 1942, uh, but was not given its origin until 1956, so four years prior to this comic, where it is explained that she found it in three pieces and assembled it after overcoming, after like conquering these trials that were in the way of getting the three pieces. Uh, then in this continuity, this, this plane in Earth-1 in 1962, so two years after this comic, the origin is explained. Okay, and this is wild. Wonder Woman explains the origin of the plane to herself as a toddler and as a teen using a time travel interview device that Hippolyta has. Hippolyta. <laughs> Hippolyta, <laughs> sorry. Um, so, and the adult self explains that the plane was Pegasus who was given to her by Athena and was transformed into a plane after passing through a magic cloud while she was chasing an evil pterodactyl. (laughs) 
while <laughs> Athena was chasing an evil pterodactyl? No, no, no. Wonder Woman received the Pegasus. I, yes. I read this. I like skimmed through this whole oh, comic. Okay. Wonder Woman was riding Pegasus. Yes. Threw it through a magic cloud, chasing an evil pterodactyl, and when it came out the other side, it was an invisible jet? Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. That responds to her thoughts and voice. Yeah. <laughs> that makes uh, perfect sense, now that I've explained it. That tracks. Okay. Anyway, so that's the end of my sidebar about the, the invisible plane. I've been reading a book all about Greek mythology, and uh-huh. so I love knowing that this jet is uh, secretly a winged horse. <laughs> a, a winged... Uh, Immortal horse. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Trapped forever as a plane. <laughs> I love that. I mean, planes are themselves immortal in a way, if you think about it. <laughs> okay. Sure. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. <laughs> anyway. So next up on the list of people who receive Aquaman's call is Superman, who can't answer the call because he's too busy defending Earth from... "Quote unquote enormous meteors mm-hmm. by breaking them up." So he's just kind of in space, swinging, throwing hands at these meteors, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I gotta, I gotta keep fighting these rock, these big space rocks, or else, uh, you know, some some terrible disaster would happen on Earth." So yeah. I, they have to hold down the fort while I'm out here in space. Did we not have a an atmosphere <laughs> in the sixties? It was. <laughs> It would. It's explained that these are big enough that they won't burn up in the atmosphere. Okay. Thanks, Superman. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Superman. He's out there every day making sure that we don't get hit with big space rocks. I believe it. Uh, okay, next up on the list, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, who is test flying an air spacecraft, uh, but he uses his ring to will the plane to complete its flight. Which is him skipping out on his government-assigned duties <laughs> using magic powers. Uh, Batman receives the call while he is, quote-unquote, closing in on two arch enemies who have joined forces. Okay, here's my theory. Okay, yes. This is the precursor to the War of Jokes and Riddles. <laughs> this is the War of Jokes and Riddles Silver Age version, and everything that was in Rebirth was stolen from this. This is what was happening on yeah. panel. Yeah, yes. Okay, I thought it was Joker and Penguin, but that's just because we've covered them, and, and I feel like the, those two would work together. We've covered Riddler. In 1960. You think Riddler would is going to work? Is he? No. Cause... There are two arch enemies who have joined forces. Joined forces. Well, Riddler and Joker are fighting in the War of Joker and Riddles. But they're arch enemies. Yeah, but it says that they've joined forces to loot Gotham City. I think it's the Penguin and the Joker. I don't think there's any reason why Penguin would work with Joker. I don't think they respect each other. Who do you think it is then? Other if if it's not Riddler and and Joker, because they need to have joined forces. They need to have joined forces, and they also need to be arch enemies. And they also have to be from the Silver Age. Uh, okay, just looking at like '60s sexual politics, I'm gonna say Catwoman and Poison Ivy, because they're both like. I'm the prettiest one. No, I'm the prettiest one. And then they're like, oh, we could work together to do cat burglaries of botany gardens. And then I'm like, yes, let's do that. That'll be fun. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, Batman can't respond because he's too busy fighting crime. Uh, the Flash is next up. He is in the middle of dealing with a tornado. And spouts off facts about tornadoes to himself, presumably for the reader's benefit. And then counters the tornado by running really fast in the opposite direction. uh, Which is quick and easy to do for him, so he has plenty of time to respond to the Starro threat. But I love that, like... Three, at least three members of the Justice League were like, an alert from Aquaman, I'm too busy for that nonsense. (laughs) Sorry, man. Wait, what do you mean at least three? Well, Batman and Superman Superman are the only two that don't don't end up showing up. Uh, Flash, like, doesn't immediately respond. He's like, okay, first this tornado. The fact that he's fast enough to do both is just, you know, it shows how great he is. Yeah, it's true. Uh, okay. A testament to his power. Next up is John Jones, who is talking to the police chief. Uh, and I had to look this up because it said a metropolitan police chief, but it didn't say what city. And at first I was like, metropolitan, does that mean he's in Metropolis? But I looked up his origin story. He works in Middleton, Colorado. Okay. 
not quite a metropolitan, but okay. Uh, and the police chief is telling John Jones that he deserves a vacation from his job as the police detective. However, there is no rest for the Martian Manhunter as he transforms into his green form to answer Aquaman's mm. call. I love how in the comics, he really just, his skin turns green and he loses his hair. Whereas like in the animated series, he like completely transforms like new bone structure. He mm -hmm. looks, this just looks like he painted himself green. <laughs> he could walk out on the street and somebody would be like, hey, John, great Halloween costume. Good to see you. <laughs> Uh, I mean, he has, he still has the ability in, in these old comics to transform himself into whatever he wants, mm. uh, as long as it doesn't have moving parts or functional parts. I had to look that up. Apparently right. he can turn into inanimate objects, but he can't turn into like a weapon that can fire <laughs> or something. Martian lamp hunter. Yeah. Or he could do that thing that uh, Elongated Man said he did in the Justice League show we were watching. I, I turned into a, a vase. Yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the five then meet in the caverns of the secret headquarters of the Justice League, where Aquaman informs League members that he knows where Starro's agents will appear. I guess the pufferfish must have overheard where yeah. Starro was sending them. Yeah, and he's a snitch. <laughs> Peter the snitch. Peter the pufferfish the snitch. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Flash, as the chairman of the Justice League, we are told, mm. takes the lead and assigns himself and Green Lantern to two of the locations as a solo mission, with Wonder Woman and Martian Manhunter teaming up to tackle the third together. Aquaman is instructed patrol to patrol the seas to see if Starro shows up again and gather any information he can. So after this panel, we get a Superboy National Social Welfare Assembly comic uh, that says that like young kids can volunteer at hospitals, and I just thought Not it was. Anymore. <laughs> I just <laughs> thought it was funny that there's one of these panels that's like, uh, go and play catch or chess with uh, some disabled kids. That's how, that's a way you can help out. Yeah, I mean that's actually good advice. It is. No, yeah, it's a, help gather toys, uh, play with disabled kids, and then. The last one I don't quite understand. It says do crafts, like making placemats for use in hospitals. Yeah. I don't think that they would allow hospitals to use like non-sterilized. Yeah, but this is the 60s before like germs and stuff. <laughs> they, they had germ theory in the 60s? This is before we knew what killed you. <laughs> uh, okay, but anyway, I thought it was neat. It's one of those like PSA comics. Yeah. It's, it's kind of cute. Uh, okay. So, on to the next section, Starro versus Green Lantern. The first of Starro's deputies is flying over the Rocky Mountain National Park, uh, which is in Colorado, interestingly, near a jet bomber. The pilots speculate that it may be a flying soft saucer or a huge bird of some kind. <laughs> Now, I would like to illustrate again to the audience that this is a starfish that is the size of a house or larger. Mm -hmm. And this man thinks that it may be a large bird. What's that, some kind of bird? <laughs> this is a either... This guy doesn't have very good depth perception or he's, he's was born and doesn't know, like yesterday, and doesn't know how big birds are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I guess I could see if it's moving really fast. Yeah. Also, it, it, the motion lines are going to look like it's spinning. Uh huh. So it might be hard to see that it's got like five points. I guess. And you know what? I guess I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because in, in the air, there's not a whole lot to like give you reference points against. So he he may be misjudging its size. Yeah. He's like, oh, that's a bird. It's real close. But no, it's a <laughs> giant house sized starfish that's pretty far away. <laughs> and things are not about to go well for you, buddy. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so the starfish then wraps itself around the plane as the crew try in vain to fight it off with a machine gun that's mounted on the plane. I, I'm kind of curious as to where the machine gun is. It, it isn't shown in the, like, big picture of the plane. And this is supposed to be a bomber, which I didn't think were, like, had other armaments on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I don't know. It, it's... It comes right out of the cockpit, but then it... And then it disappears, like, in the next in the next panel. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, okay. So the tentacle raptures the fuselage and grabs the nuclear bomb that is within the plane. Oh, no. And the starfish departs, leaving the plane to crash after having, like, crushed it. 
Hal Jordan uses his power ring to make a slide for the plane to land on before heading after the Starro agent. He knows that the starfish has the bomb because he used his ring to probe the pilot's minds, the comic tells us. Okay. Which apparently, I had to look this up because I was like, there's no way that this stuck around. It did. This is like always a power of the Green Lantern ring is that it can read people's minds and also rewrite their minds. It can erase memories and like give people false memories too. Through sheer willpower alone. Like Men in Black. <laughs> it's it's crazy. The The Green Lantern Ring is overpowered and scary, honestly, to like be used as a weapon. It's a good thing that they have like a, a militant core that keeps these guys under wraps because otherwise this thing could be used to cause havoc across the galaxy. Yeah. Which I think is like a... It's like a plot point of many sort of Green Lantern comic stuff. Is like, oh, if they get the ring, they'll be too powerful. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so this starfish detonates the bomb, but Hal Jordan is able to shield himself in a bubble from the the Green Lantern ring uh, just in time. And Starro basks, this, you know, Starro agent, basks in the energy of the bomb and begins firing beams of nuclear energy at Hal Jordan. (laughs) I love it. It's so powerful. Yeah, the the Green Lantern is able to score a hit, willing the starfish to lose power and size, and it plummets from the sky, becoming a normal starfish. That's good. Uh, I'm glad it it didn't stay. Too if powerful. he can if he can will stuff to be small and not powerful, why does why isn't he just like do this all the time and to defeat his enemies? Maybe it was easier on Starro because in reality it was a starfish with a very small brain. Possibly. Possibly. Oh, yeah, he has to, like, overcome its own willpower, perhaps? Yeah. And starfish do not have a lot of willpower. Okay. They just want to stay inside and eat Krabby Patties all day. As far as I know, they don't have, like, a proper brain. Mm -hmm. They're not, like, mammals. That makes sense. Do you think that's why Patrick the starfish in Spongebob is, like, his idiot friend? It's starfish don't have brains? It's possible, Mm -hmm. I guess. I mean, sponges don't have brains either. The guy who created Spongebob had a marine biology degree. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why there's fire underwater and Squidward the squid has eight legs. Yes. Eight legs? Mm, He's got like... Six? One, two. I think he has four and then he's got two arms. Oh, so that's right then. Squids have six. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Hey everyone, Editing Becca here with some distressing Spongebob news. Um, Squidward does in fact have six legs. However, he is actually an octopus, as is Squilliam and like every other person whose name has squid in it. So, don't know why, um, but there's something to ruin your day. Squidward is an octopus. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Uh, okay, next section. Next up, the, yes. the second Starro agent. Um, Starro versus Wonder Woman and John Jones. In Science City, which is not a real place as far as I could tell. I, I wish it was. I, I looked it up and there's like some sort of museum in Kansas or something that's called Science City uh, that looks like the Please Touch Museum in Philadelphia or something. Nice. But other than that, there it's not a real place. Hmm. But anyway... Uh, it's okay because the, the comic helpfully tells us that the Hall of Science in Science City has the greatest minds of the United States, <laughs> uh, which the Starro is pulling up into the sky while Wonder Woman and Martian Manhunter watch. It's weird that they wouldn't just be like, oh yeah, at the like Nobel Prize hmm. well, it gathering. Has take, <laughs> it has to take place in America. For science. Because um, they're the Justice League of America. I guess. I'm trying to think. I don't know. Some sort of... At the alumni meeting at MIT. Could be. That'd yeah, be a lot of scientists. Yeah, that would be better. Uh, they just make Valley. stuff up. They just make stuff up for these comics. You uh, and I know this. They just make things up. They don't I, care. I guess. Sometimes they care about delivering real world facts, like when it comes to how a pufferfish floats on the top of the water. Only real facts if Julia Schwartz already knows them. Yes. That's mm-hmm. the rule. So anyway, the starfish is attempting to, quote unquote, rob the scientists of their brain power. Mm. <laughs> by lifting them into the atmosphere, uh, and, he, and he put, or sorry, 
He's robbing them of their brain power, and while he's doing this, he lifts them up into the atmosphere and puts them in a suspended animation. Mm-hmm. So that we don't have to worry about uh, casualties. Yeah, I guess so. Um... Wonder Woman and Martian Manhunter pursue in their robot plane, and Martian Manhunter pursues by the negation of gravity, we're Mm -hmm. told. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very science. Uh, Wonder Woman lassos the tentacled monster while John goes to find a weapon in the upper atmosphere. Two things about this. Okay. How is Wonder Woman fighting in those kitten heels? She's very agile. Yeah. Yeah. It's I love this panel of She her. fights in heels in Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, doesn't she? I don't know. Maybe. It's just very impractical. Mm-hmm. They're very small heels, mm-hmm. but it's like they're strappy. I just feel like she would break her ankle very easily. Well they're the strappiness means that they're braced really well, doesn't it? Uh I don't I don't necessarily it depends on what the they're like material t- is. Talk to her legs, yes. you know? They keep her on her feet. It depends on what they're made of. Okay. Um and secondly, when she uh, uses her lasso yeah. uh, to tighten it around um, Starro's tentacle. Yeah. She says, suffering Sappho. Uh-huh. And Sappho is the Greek poet who wrote about lesbians. Actually, she wrote about love. She wrote there's, about love and she lived, disc- on, she lived on an island with only women. She, she, lived wrote- on, she lived on the Isle of Lesbos, which is where the term lesbian comes from. But there's discourse among scholars as to whether or not she actually was a lesbian. She just wrote about gals being pals, kissing and holding hands and <laughs> loving each other for decades. She wrote love... Just good old gals palling around. Yes, but she wrote generic love poems that didn't name specific people. Okay. And they're, the, the, again, like I said, there's like scholarly discourse as to whether or not they were written to other women or if they were written to like male lovers of hers. She might have uh, been, she might have no. been, she might have been bi. Okay, perhaps. Not likely though. No, she, she probably was bi if she was anything. <laughs> Why is this your hill to die on? Because I just researched this like a few days ago. All right. <laughs> Um, no. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say no. Scholars are cowards. So that's what I say. Anyway, Wonder Woman does end up lassoing Starro. Uh, she gets yanked because he's incredibly strong. And John flies off. John Johns. John Johns, the Martian Manhunter. Uh, flies off, finds meteors, and directs the meteors that are in the upper atmosphere that are small enough that they would have burned up. The comic is intent on explaining <laughs> because don't these, worry, kids. These aren't the meteors that Superman is fighting. These are smaller than the ones that Superman is fighting and would have burned up if John hadn't found them. Uh, he directs them towards the starfish with his super breath. Now, I didn't know that Martian Manhunter had super breath. Mm -hmm. That's not a common power of him that that they show off. That's a thing that I associate more with Superman. Mm -hmm. But apparently, it's like always been a power of his. Well, Superman has ice breath. His, his, the explanation is something along the lines of like, his Martian lungs are so powerful that his gusts are like super powerful. Yeah. He he has like super muscles (laughs) in his lungs. That's weird though when... In the next panel, it shows his weakness, which is fire. Uh-huh. Why couldn't he just use his super lungs to blow out the fire? Well, he kind of does. So, yeah, uh, the, the starfish flees after being hit with these small meteors, and the air's friction of, like, the starfish moving so fast sets the wooden window frames on fire of the, of the science hall. And uh, this is Martian Manhunter's weakness, like you mentioned. Fire is Martian Manhunter's weakness. All Martians' weakness. That's true, yes. Martians do not like fire, except they do live on the red planet. Yeah. Well, it's cold up up there. It's further from the sun than the Earth is. I guess so. Uh, (laughs) So, in order to combat his weakness, he goes and sucks up a rain cloud with his super breath and puts out the fire by releasing it. on the science hall nice (laughs) Uh, the star creature then telegraphs its attack by telling the two telepathically that it will shoot them with its nuclear energy beams and Wonder Woman deflects the beams with her bracelets sidebar (laughs) okay Wonder Woman's bracelets 
In the comic, these bracelets are said to be made of Amazonium. Uh, people who have watched a television show might remember that the in the television show, the the sixties television show, mm-hmm. they were made from feminum, feminum. Okay. <laughs> and in the post-crisis continuity, so nineteen eighty-six onward, they are made from the remnants of the hide of the she-goat Amalthea, who was the goat that suckled the infant Zeus. Okay. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> uh, the creator of Wonder Woman, William Moulton Morstan, gave them this origin. The Amazons had, had been Greek women that were bound by men until they realized their power, overcame their captors, and moved to their own island. The bracelets, quote-unquote, remind them of what happens to a girl when she lets a man conquer her. Oh. Uh, and Aphrodite made them magically indestructible. Mm. So uh, it's it's a reminder to the Amazons to not be held in, in chains, not to be bound by men. Mm. And in, in some versions of the continuity, if they are bound, like if they get welded together, uh, they lose their powers. Mm. Uh, and then there's also different continuities. Sometimes if they take them off, they lose their powers. Sometimes if they get them removed, they, like, go crazy with rage. Uh, there's different things. And I, I think in the most recent continuity, nothing happens. If, if they, She's just, like... She a, slips it off at night. She, she's going to bed. She's a little less powerful because she doesn't have her, her magic bracelets. Hmm. Um, oh, and also, they can be struck together to, in some continuities, create lightning. In the Zack Snyder movie and the, and the other stuff, it's, like... It to, just kills you. It, it creates, like, a big blast like yeah. a, a concussive blast. I really like that part. We didn't talk about this on our last episode, which is all about the Snyder Cut. She mm-hmm. like knows that she can do lots of damage with it, which is like set up really well. And during the big fight after they resurrect Superman, she's like, "Don't make, don't make, don't make me do it. Mm-hmm, I'm gonna mm-hmm. do it." And he just like slips his hand in there, and he's like, "Go ahead. <laughs> you can't. You're he's, useless." He stops her from banging them together. Yeah, he's like, "That won't stop me. I'm too powerful." Mm. So anyway, back to the comic. Unless you have more to say about Wonder Woman's bracelets. I have more to say about overpowered Superman and just the fact that Amanda Waller was right all along. So there's that. (laughs) But I don't think that the Suicide Squad has any hope of defeating Superman. Which isn't that the, that's the hook for the trailer for the Suicide Squad game, right? Yeah, the the new Suicide Squad game that's coming out is Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League. Is it the Justice League or is it the... Society of no, it's Super the Justice League. Whatever. It's the Justice League. Oh shoot! Because I think it, it's definitely Superman. He has the S on his chest. Yeah. He's being mind controlled or something. Oh no! Yeah, that's gonna be hard. <laughs> I'm excited for that game. Although that game and the the Batman Gotham Knights thing got pushed to like next year. Yeah, that's right. <sighs> As our hero. Um, Miyamoto says, uh, a delayed game is eventually good, but a bad game is bad forever. Well, he said that before hotfix patches were a thing. Mm, still. In people's minds, that's true. It's true in my mind. Back to the comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, John Johns, he pulls up a piece of the roof to deflect the, the nuclear beams that get shot at him. Instead of fighting the starfish, Wonder Woman digs her heels into the building and lassos her robot plane, which jerks the science hall from the tentacles of the Starro deputy. Uh, John tussles with the creature as Wonder Woman guides the building down to safety, and she flies back up to help the star uh, to help him fight the starfish. And the starfish starts losing power and falls from the sky. Uh, there's also a page in here about the starfish family, which helpfully tells us about not only starfish, but also sea cucumbers and sea urchins. Fun! Uh, there's, uh, and then after that, there's a science article about a hearing from the House of Representatives uh, Aeronautics Committee about faster-than-light travel. Where they say that it's not possible. Hmm. Uh, and really, there's there's no reason that they included this other than that they were like, we think our readers would like this. We, we think this is the kind of nerdy stuff that a comic book reader would like to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so we, we move on to Starro versus The Flash. With the two other Starro deputies defeated, 
The Flash finds the third starfish hovering over Happy Harbor, which is worth mentioning is the home of the Justice League of America, as well as later the Doom Patrol and the Justice League International and Young Justice. Hmm. Um, we, and it's weird to me that this is the home of the Justice League of America, but they sent they sent Hal Jordan to Colorado instead of the Flash, who could probably have gotten there faster. He might have been able... Well, I guess he couldn't fly, though. Yeah. So... But they didn't... Well, whatever. I don't know. It's, it's a comic book. Uh, Deus Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. I mean, John Jones was already in Middleton, you said. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. He went to the East Coast, and then he had to go back. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, while this is happening, the starfish is over Happy Harbor... Uh, in Happy Harbor, a young hipster... The star of this comic. ...named Snapper. He's the best. <laughs> he's a he's a great character. He's maybe my favorite person to ever exist ever. You might uh, I want to say more about him because I sort of did like broad strokes. Uh, he, so he's finishing up spreading Turf Builder and Lime mm-hmm. for his suburban family mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, on the lawn. And like he, he's very typical nineteen late nineteen fifties, early nineteen sixties hipster where he's like calling people daddio, snapping his fingers. Looks like you're in Tranceville. <laughs> yeah. What happened? So he goes to tell the family he's finished, they all filter out of the house and they head towards the center of town, along with everyone else in town heading towards the center of town, uh, and everyone is unresponsive to Snapper's pleas to pay attention to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Starro appears overhead, mind controlling the town, but he realizes that one of the crowd isn't under his influence, so he shoots a beam of energy at Snapper. Uh, Luckily, the Flash is able to tackle him out of the way just in time, as the fastest man alive dodges the, the beams... Uh, he uses the same strategy he used with the tornado uh, by capturing Starro in the vortex and spinning it around. I guess it's also worth mentioning uh, that he, he, Flash briefly stops and talks with Snapper and asks him why he wasn't under the influence of Starro, and Snapper doesn't have any idea why. Mm. Um, and, and also follows the Flash in his car. Oh, and that's my favorite part, too, because he's like, Snapper says, I'm really swinging, casting orbs on you like this, Flash. It's like I'm having a happy mare, you dig? And Flash is like, I don't know what any of those words meant. Goodbye. I'll be back after I fight this giant starfish. Because Flash is a nerd. Uh, yeah, so the starfish flies away after being caught in this like vortex that the Flash has made uh, and hides in a lake. But the Flash is able to uncover it by stomping his foot on the ground so quickly that the shockwaves cause the water to part. Like Moses. Yeah, I don't know how... Happy Passover to all of our listeners. I don't know how the the physics of this work. Uh, I mean, it's the same way Moses did it. He put a, he stamped his stick in the ground and they parted the red You think he did it so fast like the Flash did? Yeah. He, oh, Moses was a speedster. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> New biblical headcanon. <laughs> Happy Passover, everybody. I hope y'all had uh, a really wonderful Seder. Happy Easter to our Christian listeners. <laughs> Josh did the four questions. <laughs> do them on the podcast. I'm not going to do the four questions on the podcast. All right. Uh, the flash start stops stomping on the ground after he uncovers the starro. And the waves hit the monster with a pile driver force, which defeats it. Nice. Uh, Snapper, who followed in his hot rod, celebrates the defeat of the Starro deputy, and the Flash uh, pushes his car back to town, being very careful not to burn up the tires by going too fast. Uh, and they both see how the town fo- townsfolk are. Snapper's family is no longer in the trance, and they tell the Flash that they were instructed by Starro's deputy to head to Turkey Hollow, which is five miles east of the town. Mm -hmm. And then the Flash signals to the Justice League to meet him there and bring Snapper along with him to solve the mystery, who uh, Snapper then, to show his approval, snaps in in, uh, happiness. As is his wave of life. (laughs) Yes, yeah. As is his his, uh, moniker. Yes. 
So now we move on to Starro versus the Justice League of America, with all of them gathered to fight the final Starro, the original Starro that came to Earth. Exactly. And you're going to tell us all about that. I will. Uh, so Starro waits for his enslaved throngs from Happy Harbor, knowing that he is alone now that his deputies have been taken down by members of the Justice League of America. However, they did complete their assigned missions, and he explains that the first deputy was able to transfer his atomic energy to the second who transferred that and also all of the scientists knowledge the third who transferred all of that plus the gift to control human minds to what i'm going to call starro prime the big the big boy <laughs> the big star original starro og starro yes Big Starro. Big Starro. So Starro can now force the people of Earth to detonate their nuclear weapons and absorb all of that energy so we can conquer the universe. It's a very anti-nuke story. I love it. Yeah. If, if we didn't have nuclear uh, weapons, Starro would have no reason to try and conquer us. Exactly. So Flash, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter, Green Lantern, and Aquaman bear down on Starro. Green Lantern volunteers to go it alone and handle Starro. Mm -hmm. And Martian Manhunter is just like, yeah, sounds, sounds like a plan. You, sure, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I love that. Um, Starro catches Hal in a mental beam, however, and turns himself yellow so that he can't be controlled by the power ring. Yeah, so this is another something worth mentioning to any of our listeners who are not familiar with, with uh, Green Lantern lore. Green Lantern don't like yellow. They Their power ring, for some reason, doesn't work on items that are yellow, because yellow is the color of the embodiment of fear. So they willpower has a tough time overcoming fear. Green Lantern's greatest enemy, Lemon Man. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, or uh, Condiment King, if Condiment King uses mustard. Mustard, mustard Man. Ooh, what if Lemon Man and Mustard Man teamed up? <laughs> there is no such thing as Lemon Man. You uh, just made him up. Not yet. Get at me, Jack Kirby. <laughs> Get out of your grave. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Green Lantern is now useless against this Starro because Starro has turned yellow, which, again, is pretty weird. Like, the, for all the, the overpoweredness that the Green Lantern ring has, the fact that it's, it doesn't work against yellow stuff is, like, the worst drawback ever. Yeah, no, it's wild. Um, so Starro starts attacking members of the Justice League, and Barry notices that Starro is unable to do anything to Snapper and asks Green Lantern to use his ring as a spectroscope to figure out why. Mm -hmm. So the spectroscope reveals that Snapper is covered in calcium oxide, which is the lime that he was using on the lawn, he explains. Mm -hmm. And so they figure like, okay, lime must be something that it can't get past. And um, I think, yeah, Aquaman mentions that oyster men use quicklime to fight starfish who prey on oysters in the sea. They're like, well, that's true for Earth starfish it must also be true for space starfish for alien too. starfish yeah. yeah and it's a good thing they they actually gave aquaman something to do yeah he, he talks he talks to a fish at the beginning and then he shares a fun fact about oysters fun fact here's how you kill a starfish yeah uh so hal grabs a couple of barrels of lime from some farms nearby thinking how he'll later use bruce's money to pay the farmers back for their lime <laughs> Um, and once Starro is imprisoned as a living statue of Lime, the struggle is finally over. Mm -hmm. And the team decide to make Snapper an honorary member of the JLA. And they even give him a signaling device that he can later use to bother them. <laughs> <laughs> to bother them. I wouldn't just give some random teenager like, oh, here's how you, here's how you let me know you're in trouble. I'll, I'll be yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I would be like, only use this in extreme emergencies. I've only known you for 10 minutes and you seem a little annoying. <laughs> hey, daddy-o! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want that. I don't want Snapper to have me on call at all times. Hey, you you cool cats in the Justice League. <laughs> hey, oh my god, Snapper, what's the emergency? Ah, this cat was trying to play something other than Miles Davis on the jukebox. So I figured I'd call in the Justice League to see what can be done. Uh, yeah, but maybe not a great idea to give him this. Uh, we, we don't know if it works, though. Maybe, maybe they gave him a fake it's one. It's a dummy, yeah. <laughs> No, I'm sure that they gave him a real one. He's an honorary member of the Justice League because he helped them to fight a giant starfish. Yeah, good for him. Okay. Do you have anything else to say about the comic? Nope. Okay. Would you like to tell me about Starro? I would love to. Okay. 
So, Star was created by writer Gardner Fox, who wrote this issue, uh-huh. um, and artist Mike Sikowski. Uh, Gardner Fox also created The Flash and a number of other characters that we know and love. Mm-hmm. Star's mm-hmm. true origin is quite bizarre and not revealed until much later in the continuity, uh-huh. uh, but its true name is Mother Star, and it comes from a race of predatory beings who find planets to enslave entire populations to build a nest so that the Mother Star can give birth to the new queen who the enslaved race will then take care of until she's ready to become the new mother star. Oh. Mm-hmm. And despite this, she and queen, I am going to continue calling sorrow it. Okay. seems to be its preferred pronoun. Okay. Uh, so then it's kind of a parasite then. Like it, it finds a host. Yeah. But in this case, the host is like a an, planet. an entire race of people. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then enslaves them to to help raise its young. Mm -hmm. Just how like a parasite takes over your body to, you know, reproduce. Yep. Ooh, geez, that's awful. So after its first adventure on Earth, Star returns decades later with the ability to asexually spawn millions of spore duplicates of itself. Uh So this first issue, it was just sort of like testing the waters, being like, yeah, I can take these three that are already starfish and turn them into copies of myself. Now it's just able to asexually spawn as many copies of itself that it wants. Mm. And Star uses this power to attach a star to and enslave the entire population of New York. Ooh. And in this comic, Starro is stopped by extreme cold and not lime. They were okay. able to figure out a couple different ways to stop Starro. Although after this comic, it's mostly cold that they yeah. use to stop Starro. Yeah. Uh, so Starro later uh, convinced members of Justice League Europe that it wanted to return to space to die in peace. So with the help of a Green Lantern, Starro was launched into Earth's atmosphere in its original ship. However, once in the air, Starro destroys the ship and releases thousands of spores all over Europe. Oh. Um, and this time, it is again stopped by Extreme Cold by a Justice League International member named Ice. Okay. Do you know who is in Justice League Europe? Yeah, there's a lot of different people who've been in Justice League Europe over the years. Okay. Uh, Kilowog is the Green Lantern that's mentioned in this. But Captain Atom, uh, various Flashes, yeah. Aquaman, Elongated Man, Animal Man, Power Girl. Yeah, I know Captain Atom. Mm-hmm. And it looks like he's kind of in this uh, a bunch. Yeah. He's, he's the... Oh, the Wikipedia page says Field Commander. Yes, he's in charge of Justice League Europe. Interesting. That's yeah. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so years later, Starro takes control of Wally West Flash, ah. and the entire population of Blue Valley. And Hal Jordan warns the JLA that Starro wants to use their superpowers to rule the galaxy. So they have Hal temporarily remove their powers, and they distract Starro while Batman, who has never had powers but still is able to get through life just fine, uh, freezes Starro, again using ice and ah. cold to overcome him. Uh-huh. Uh, their trouble continues when a giant version of Starro, calling itself the Star Conqueror, then comes to Earth and covers all of Europe with its body. And in this adventure, the JLA is actually aided by the Neil Gaiman character Dream of the Sandman series. What? Who, once Star was defeated, ends up capturing him and storing him in a museum of keepsakes that he has in his home. That is wild. Yeah, and they find him in like all kinds of like weird like dream worlds and like pocket universes. It's very strange. It's it's really weird to me that the Neil Gaiman characters are part of the mainline DC continuity. Yeah. You would think that those would be like their own sort of cordoned off their own thing, nope. you know? Makes too much money. I guess. Yeah. Do yeah. you think it's because they wanted to do tie-ins where like, you know, it shows up in a Justice League comic so they can be like, and if you want to know who Dream is, go read these Neil Gaiman series. Yeah. I, I am honestly... It's all I, about that integration. I feel like it's... I. I'm pretty sure it is in development right now, but I'm surprised there hasn't been a live-action Sandman film yet. Really? Because they're really popular. Really? Yeah, people love Sandman. Huh. Yeah. I wasn't aware of its popularity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's in development right now. I know, I follow Neil Gaiman on Twitter, and every so often he makes, like, casting announcements, and he's like, this person's perfect. He's very excited. <laughs> so, I'm sure it's going to be great. Uh, so, during Infinite Crisis, Starro joins up with the Secret Society of Supervillains. <gasps> and I know you love the various Earths, so let me explain this to you slowly oh, so you geez. enjoy Oh, jeez. Okay, So, okay. the Secret Society of Supervillains is run by Alexander Luther Jr., 
who is the son of Earth 3's Lex Luthor. Okay. Who in that universe is the only superhero, and he's the one who fights against, like, Ultraman and, like, that okay. evil Justice League. Okay, yeah. So yes. Earth 3 has, has the... They're not called the Justice League. They're called the Crime Syndicate. Yeah. And Lex Luthor, you said he's the only superhero? Yeah. I thought in... I know in the Crisis on Two Earths movie, he works with, like the jester or something like like weird slant versions of the villains of the mainline dc universe i think he might be the only one who has superpowers oh okay but yeah he is good but Mm -hmm. his son is bad oh oh interesting the secret society supervillain on Um, on earth one I guess so. It's okay. an infinite crisis. So it's Oh, it all takes place where like they're they're kind of mashing together. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um he also shows up later as a member of the Sinestro Corps with five power rings. <laughs> one for each one of on each of his little tentacles. Oh jeez, that's crazy. Um and in this appearance he's actually taken down by Bart Allen, Impulse. Oh. Future Flash. Future Flash. Yeah. That's pretty, cool. pretty interesting. So how do you use what what is is it that there's just more power to draw from from five yellow lantern rings? I guess. See, it, I didn't look and see if they're all yellow. I, in my oh. mind, I imagined he's got one of each color. Oh, you think he's got like the pink, the blue, the the green, the, yeah. the yellow? That would be great. That I would hope be so. right. That would be all. No, no, there's still one left. Uh, red. They got white and black. Oh, you're right. Yeah, red is yeah. the one that I missed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, five times the fear, maybe. Okay, okay. Uh, So in Rebirth, hold on to your hat. Okay, I'm holding on to my hat. Starro is recruited to protect the universe against the Omega Titans. And this is because he admires, like, the courage of Martian Manhunter, and he's kind of inspired to join up. And he actually ends up fighting alongside Martian Manhunter, Superman, Starfire, and Sinestro. Uh, and dies. He dies in this battle against the Omega Titans. How- okay. However, yes. are you still holding on to your hat? I guess, okay. yeah. Batman saves a tissue sample of Starro in a jar, which he names Starro in a jar, or Jaro for short. <laughs> and jar- Wait, Batman names him? This? Yes, yes. Really? Bruce Wayne calls this Jaro. Jaro. And Jaro grows into like a little... Starfish, he's like, yeah, like the size of maybe a coffee cup. Okay. He's a little starfish in a jar. Okay. Um, and uh, he thinks that Batman is his father, and he calls Batman dad, and Batman raises him like a son, and Jaro dreams of being the greatest Robin who ever lived, and their relationship is very sweet, and they hug. That is adorable. It's really cute. He calls him dad. There's one panel where he, like kind of like swings in on like a little bat rope and he's wearing like a tiny little hood. Oh. He looks so good. I love Jaro. He's <laughs> maybe my new favorite character of all time. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Also worth noting, post-crisis, uh, Snapper Carr owns a cat that he names Starro. Oh. No, re- no relation. He, Snapper Carr, the, the, the hipster from this comic, shows up again? Yeah. Okay. And he's got a cat that he names Starro. Interesting. Yes. Uh, Starro's also appeared in numerous DC movies and shows, including but not limited to Batman Beyond, DC Superhero Girls, and Justice League Flashpoint Paradox, mm. where I think he was only kind of like just mentioned as like, also one time we fought a giant starfish. Isn't that crazy? Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you and I watched the Batman Beyond episode that he shows up in, and I think it's a really cool episode. Um, he's given a slightly different backstory in that one. Yeah. He's a really innocent creature and in yeah. he just gets abducted. Yeah, although he, he, he like, it, it's the fact that he's he's abducted from his home planet and then is kept in, like, a zoo by, it's basically like a DC version of the Collector from mm-hmm. the Marvel Universe. Um, and then when Superman gets caught by the this Collector being, he breaks out, but then he doesn't know where all the animals came from, so he keeps them in a zoo in, like, the Fortress of Solitude. Mm-hmm. But the star still is, like, sad that it's not in its home planet, so it, like, concocts this plan, like, resenting being held, that it's going to take over Superman uh, and I think just, like, enact revenge. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it has, like, a take-over-the-world plan. No. Oh, you know what? It does, because it breeds a bunch more of itself, 
that it's going to release into the ocean to take over. Oh yeah, like, you're everybody. Right. Yes. It's it's really really cool, and uh, I I kind of spoiled it because like the Starro thing you don't find out until like the very it's like the second episode of the two parter, mm-hmm. but it's still an interesting watch. You should definitely give it a watch. Absolutely. Uh, great. Well, that's all I had. Okay. This week, um, moral of the story: get a starfish, raise it as your son. You'll never <laughs> look back. <laughs> Uh, are you excited to see Starro in the Suicide yes, Squad movie? Very much so. Yes. I hope that it will actually have some sort of like intelligence to it. It won't mm. just be like a giant monster that they have to fight. Um, I hope maybe there's like some reason why King Shark is there. Maybe there's some sort of like interplay between the two of them. Mm-hmm. He has almost maybe an Aquaman type role in this. Huh. Uh, yeah. No, I'm really excited. Do you think they'll defeat it by p- piling lime on top of it? No. No? <laughs> I think they'll probably have to outsmart it in some sort of way. Yeah. I do, do you think, think it will? I think it'll mind control people. Do you Definitely. think it'll? Yeah. Because yeah. there's already, there was already, uh, like a still from one of the trailers where there was like a guy kind of like, laying sort of behind somebody and he had a starfish on his face. So ah. definitely he's going to mind control people. Okay. Very okay. Exciting. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to see like the the big fight with him. You think he's going to fly? Because it looked like in the trailer it doesn't he's, look like he no, flies. No, he's mostly just like stepping on cars and stuff Okay. he's big. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You think he'll have his nuclear ray beams? <laughs> Maybe. I'm excited. I, I, I want to see what, what happens. And I kind of don't want to watch more trailers because I want to be, I want to be like surprised by the movie when mm-hmm. it actually comes out. I agree. Okay. All well, right. I think that is it for this episode of Batmates. Uh, I apologize that we did not talk about Batman very much. He does show up at the very last panel of the comic that we read mm-hmm. uh, when they're giving Snapper the like honorary Justice League metal. Yeah. He's, he's well, just like right at the edge of the panel. Well, yeah. And Superman does show up eventually too, mm-hmm. but but uh yeah. Sorry he only got a mention in this one. We are a Batman podcast. And yes. I guarantee you we will do Batman. Next week will be a Batman one, we promise. Yeah, yeah. But we thought we would talk about Starro since he was in the new Suicide Squad trailer. Uh, and we got to talk about the first appearance of the Justice League, which yeah. I was looking forward to doing. I thought we were gonna wait a while to actually do this one. Nah. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please, uh, send them to batmatespodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at batmates. And, uh, thank you to all of our beautiful listeners. Thank you, you, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.